Section 85 of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Chapter 85 Haunted by a Dead Face. Two years after the birth of his son, the Earl and Countess went to London for the season. It so happened that the desire for a picture he had seen led him to the studio of Gregory Leslie. The artist was engaged for the moment and asked Lord Linley to wait. While so waiting, he occupied himself in looking round at the pictures on the wall. He stopped before one as though spellbound. If ever he had seen the face of his daughter at all, it was shining there on the canvas, beautiful as the radiant dawn of the morning, with the sunlight on her hair, and in her eyes a light that seemed to be from heaven. She was standing in the midst of flowers, and his own face grew pale as he looked at the radiant loveliness of hers. Doris, he said to himself, but how comes she here? He saw the white hands that he remembered last as folded in death. He saw the white graceful breast that had been disfigured by that terrible wound. My darling Doris, he said, how came you here? He was standing there with tears in his eyes when Mr. Leslie entered the room. I should like to ask a few questions about that picture, Mr. Leslie, he said courteously. Is it for sale? I can hardly say. I have had a very large bid for it. It was purchased some time since by one of our merchant princes, who has since failed, and I bought the picture at his sale. Since then I have been offered a large sum for it. It's my daughter's portrait, said the Earl calmly. I cannot see how it came into your possession. I painted it, said Mr. Leslie. You did? Where did you see my daughter? Then the artist told him the whole story of his going to Brackenside, and the Earl told him the story of Lady Doris Studley's childhood. I never believed that she was Mark Brace's daughter, said Gregory Leslie. She was so daintily beautiful. Her grace was so complete, so high-bred, I could not fancy that she belonged to them. Was the mystery of her journey to Florence ever explained? What mystery? asked the Earl quickly so quickly that Mr. Leslie thought that he had been wrong in naming it at all. There was some little confusion, he said. Her face is very beautiful. It attracted great attention, and one of my fellow artists assured me that he had seen her in Florence, and that she was married. Nothing of the kind, said the Earl. Then an uncomfortable conviction seized upon him. Could there be any truth in this? Could there be any truth in the idea, the suspicion, that his wife entertained that all had not been well with Doris? Could there have been a mystery in that young life, so soon, oh, so soon ended? The Earl sighed deeply. It would be better, perhaps, to let it alone. If there had been anything wrong, it was too late to write it now. Let the dead past bury its dead. She was a studly and there were many of that race whose lives would not bear looking into. He dismissed the subject from his mind, and said to himself he would think of it no more. "'Who wants this picture?' he asked abruptly. "'I'm sure that Lady Linley would like it.' "'It's a strange coincidence that you should call this morning,' said Mr. Leslie. 
The gentleman who wishes so strongly for it appointed to meet me at two. It wants but ten minutes of the time. Will you wait and see him? Perhaps under the circumstances he might be willing for you to have the original, which I might copy. Lord Linley was perfectly willing. He was rather surprised, however, when the door opened to see, in the expected visitor, Lord Vivian. Lord Vivian, but so changed, so unlike himself, that it was with difficulty he recognized him. His hair was white as snow, his face furrowed with deep lines, haggard, careworn, and miserable. He looked like a man bowed down with care, wretched beyond words. When he saw Lord Lindley, he grew even more ghastly pale, and all sound died away on his lips. The Earl eagerly extended his hand. Lord Vivian, he cried, what a stranger you are. I am heartily glad to meet you again. He did not understand why that great gasping sigh of relief came from the wretched lips. I have thought of you, continued the Earl. Of course you heard the story of my terrible trouble. More ghastly still grew the white face. Yes, I heard of it. Who did not? Poor child, sighed the Earl. It was a terrible blow to us, the very night before her wedding day, too. Ah, the night before the wedding day. He was not likely to forget that. He saw it all again, the beautiful defiant face, the wedding costume, the long sharp knife, the bare white breast. Ah, merciful God, was he never to forget. He groaned aloud, and then he saw the Earl looking at him in wonder. You did not know, Lord Linley, he said, that I loved your daughter. If I had gone to Linley again in August, it would have been to ask her to be my wife. The Earl held out his hand in silent sympathy. It was a terrible blow, he said. Then he thought to himself that it was because he had loved his daughter that Lord Vivian wished for the picture. I fancied once or twice, he said, that you admired her. I did not know that you loved her. I did. If anyone had told me it was in my power to love any woman or to mourn for any woman as I have done for her, I should have laughed at the notion. My life is blighted. They sat in silence for some time. Then the Earl said, I am glad that I have met you. Lady Lindley and I have often spoken of you. Will you pay us a visit at Lindley Court? No, replied the wretched man with a shudder. You are very kind. I thank you, but my visiting days are over. I am nothing but a curse to myself and to others. You will get better in time, said the Earl. It was a new idea to him to play the part of a comforter to a man of the world, and he did it awkwardly. I grow worse, not better, was the desponding reply. I suppose, Lord Linley, nothing more was heard of that dreadful occurrence? The crime was never traced? No, it was one of those mysteries that baffle solution, he replied. The rewards offered have been enormous, and we have employed the best detectives in England without success. It is very strange, said Lord Vivian musingly. Yes, it is strange. I am quite certain of one thing, said the Earl, with energy. It will come to light. Murder always does. It will come to light. The white face grew even whiter. You believe that? said Lord Vivian in a low, hoarse voice. Yes, said the Earl. Although I am not what the world would call a religious man, I am quite sure that a just God will never allow such a crime to go unpunished. Now about the picture, Lord Vivian, if you love my dear dead daughter, I can well understand that you want this. Then they finally agreed that Lord Lindley should have the original, 
and Mr. Leslie should paint a copy for Lord Vivian. Lord Linley at the same time ordered a copy for Earl, and then looking at the picture, he saw the name. He looked at the artist with a smile. Innocence, he said. Why did you call that picture Innocence? Because the face was so fair, so fresh, so bright, I could think of no other name. There is in it the very innocence and beauty that angels wear. Look at the clear, sweet eyes, the perfect lips, the ideal brow. Innocence, said Lord Vivian, in a strange voice. It was well named. They both looked at him quickly, but he was on his guard again. He shook hands with the Earl. They never met again. He said adieu to Leslie, and begged that the portrait might be sent home as soon as possible. And then he went away. The Earl and the artist looked after him. That is a dying man, said Gregory Leslie slowly. If he dies, said the Earl, it will be love for my daughter that has killed him. The Earl was never any nearer to the solution of the mystery. That Lord Vivian, who spoke so openly of having loved her, had any hand in her death, he never even faintly surmised. He took the picture home, and it hangs now in Lindley Court, where the Earl's children pause sometimes in their play to ask about their elder sister Doris, whose name the picture says was Innocence. It was not long afterward that the fashionable world was startled from its serenity by the sad intelligence of the suicide of Lord Vivian. Then they heard a strange story, although no one could solve it. His servants told how dreadfully he had suffered. Let those who laugh at the retribution that follows sin believe. Slowly and in terrible torture had that wretched life ended. He had rushed from the scene of his crime, mad with baffled love, with fiercest passion, with regret and remorse, mad with the wild fury of his own passions, above all with a terrible knowledge of her death. For many days and nights he neither slept, rested, ate, nor drank. He went away to Paris. It was not exactly that he feared pursuit. He knew that it was not likely that any suspicion should attach itself to him. But wherever he went, he saw that dead face, that golden web with a crimson stain. In Paris he plunged into the wildest dissipation. He tried drink, all possible resources, in vain. Where the sun shone brightest, where the gaslight flared, where painted faces smiled, he saw the same sight, a white face looking up, still and cold, in death. If by chance he were left alone or in the dark, his cries were awful, his servants talked about him, but they never thought crime or remorse was busy with him. They fancied he had drank himself into a fit of delirium. They could have told, and did tell after his death, of awful nights, when he raved like a madman, when he was pursued by a dead woman, always holding a knife in her hand. They told of frantic fits of anguish, when he lay groaning on the floor, biting his lips until they bled, so that one's heart ached to hear him. Let no man say that he can sin with impunity. Let no man say sin remains unpunished. The time came when he said to himself deliberately and with full purpose that he would not live. What was this tortured, blighted life to him less than nothing? Once and once only, he asked himself if it were possible to repent. 
repent of his sins his unbridled passions his selfish loves repent he laughed aloud in scornful glee it would indeed be a fine thing a grand idea for him a man of the world he who had been complimented on being the don juan of the day he to repent nonsense as he had lived he would die what mad folly had possessed him he gnashed his teeth with rage when he thought of what he had done then something brought to his mind the remembrance of that picture and his heart filled with hope perhaps if he could buy it could have the pictured face in its living radiant beauty always before him it might lay the spectre that haunted him it might turn the current he had forgotten almost what the lovely living face was like he only remembered it cold and dead he purchased the picture but it only worked him deeper woe deeper darker woe he fancied the eyes followed him and mocked him he had a terrible dread that some time or other the lips would open and denounce him then when he could bear it no longer he determined to kill himself he would have no more of it all london was horrified to hear that lord vivian had been found dead he had shot himself even the journals that as a rule avoided details told how he died with his face turned to a picture the picture of a beautiful girl with a fair face tender eyes and sweet proud lips a picture called innocence if anyone dare to believe that he can sin with impunity let him stand for one minute while a sin-stained suicide is laid in his lonely grave End of section 85